0: When I say the word steward, what is it that comes to your mind? Are there any qualities to being a good steward? Or are there any consequences, perhaps, for falling short as a good steward? Now, let me give you a couple examples from Webster's regarding what a good steward, or maybe not necessarily a good steward, but what a steward in general looks like. The first one states, one employed in a large household to manage domestic concerns. So this is surely one who is aware of his need to manage someone else's stuff. Not to mention... He also knows that there's some tasks involved in that stewardship or management. Another example listed is, a, in parentheses, a shop steward. Some of you that have perhaps worked in a union environment are very much aware of what a shop steward is. He is nothing more than the representative for the union workers, whether you like that or not, that's a story for another day. The third example listed is a fiscal agent. Now, when it comes to consequences for possibly falling short and being a good steward, this one clearly um, is a good illustration for us. None of us would desire a money manager that would squander away All of our resources. The final example given by Webster's is one who, in essence, just actively directs affairs. A manager. Now, as for a, and I'm going to go there. Sorry, you know how I'm wired. A sports manager. He knows... How to, in essence, and I'm going to use 21st century lingo here, stay in his own lane, so to speak. He's not the owner. He's been given a responsibility. And if he falls short, he knows what the consequences are. What are his responsibilities? What's his responsibility? It's nothing more than to win. Professional sports manager. And the consequences are you're being let go buck stops with the leader, typically not with the players. Not to mention, in this circumstance, a manager of a successful sports franchise understands fully the power behind what he's managing. Money talks for these big boys. The best players, the best assistants, the best perks is all part of the game. In this circumstance. So, from a natural perspective, being a good steward is simply being a good manager, naturally speaking. That said, what about the spiritual? That's our priority, is it not? That's what should be the priority for those of us that are born again believers in Jesus Christ. We understand that we have something to steward. Amen? Something to manage. And for the best of us, some days are better than others. Hmm? How we steward God's gifts will certainly play a role at the judgment seat of Christ. Not the great white throne judgment, which is reserved for unbelievers. But at the judgment seat of Christ for all believers. Not in a spirit of condemnation, but oh certainly regarding greater or lesser rewards. Which we see within scripture. What's more, when we firmly come to terms and grasp what we actually have in Christ, it unquestionably drives us to live better lives for Him in any area of sanctification, whatever that may be in your plight or plot of life. Having said that, in Ephesians chapter 3, we made it to chapter 3. Can you believe it? Verses 1 through 13, we're going to see Paul's stewardship of a mission from Christ. A mission involving a mystery that was formerly unknown, yet now revealed. The mystery of Christ. Disclosed in one divine truth. Really the purpose, the thrust, the theme behind these 13 verses that Jews and Gentiles are co heirs with Christ. This is what God has now in this church age, parentheses there, revealed, made known. Or more importantly, this is what empowers the church at Ephesus. And here today, us to be good stewards for Christ. That's our goal. That's our hope by the grace of God that's within us. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. As you're turning there, if you would stand with me, please, for the reading of God's word. The title of today's message is The Stewardship of the Mystery of Our text, as I stated, is verses 1 through 13. I'll only read verses 2 through 6 for the sake of time. If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief, By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men. And it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. To be specific that the gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. You may be seated. Now, quick logistical note up front. Paul in this section communicates several key themes and He ties them together like a a weave of tapestry, if you will, but it's not in a logistical, logical, sequential fashion. That being said, in order for us to keep those concepts together, we're going to need to jump around a little bit. This will still obviously be an exposition of the text because we're bringing forth out of the text what Paul intended to communicate to the original audience. That said, I wanted to lay that groundwork for you. I wholeheartedly believe you'll still be able to track with me as we work our way through this, which, as I stated, will not be in a typical sequential fashion because Paul doesn't do so in this section as he jumps around and repeats certain phrases throughout. Well, that said, the first understanding. Behind Paul's stewardship of the mystery is number one, the authority of God. And we spoke of authority in our introductions surrounding the shop steward. In a union environment, the shop steward understands that he represents his fellow workers. He's nothing more than a conduit in this circumstance for the union workers. Here, from a spiritual perspective, we take this to a whole new level of understanding. As for Paul, he understands the authority of God behind this mystery, behind this stewardship that he's been given to reveal. Let's look at this throughout this section. First, you'll see in verse 1, he's a prisoner for who? For the sake of the Gentiles. In verse 2, why was this stewardship given to him? Paul says, it was given to me for you. And then, in a sort of around. Tape it and seal it, bow of emphasis. This is a common tool that biblical writers will utilize in order to emphasize what they want to communicate, ending and beginning, being of the same thought. He says in verse 13, to conclude this section, don't lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf. For it's for your glory. So there's surely a sense of authority outside of himself. He understands he's representing someone else. This authority is not found within him. Nor is it reserved just for him. He's here to serve someone else. Specifically here the Gentiles. What's more in regards to this authority of God behind Paul's stewardship, he understands where this authority comes from. Just in case one's tempted, in a natural sense or even in a spiritual sense, to feel privileged because they've been called to be a manager or a steward, let us never forget Even outside of this passage, James chapter 1 says that every good gift comes down from the Father of lights. That said, here let's see this type of understanding throughout this passage, that Paul has been given authority, it's been given to him. In verse 2, we see Paul acknowledge that grace was given to him. In verse three, he says, "By revelation, there was made known to me, made known to me." In verse seven, he was made a minister, or a servant, according to God's grace, which was what? Given to him." And then one more example. in verse eight, you can say it, you can see it again. He's repeating this. This grace was given. So there's an authority outside of himself. When he comes to what was behind this stewardship of the mystery, it becomes increasingly clear that Paul understood that the authority of God was behind it, not in himself. He knew He was simply a steward. He was simply a manager. Under the authority of his own master. Given a task. Given a mission. To reveal this mystery. For the sake of the Gentiles. Not for himself. But for others. Now. With that. First century understanding. Locked down. Which is. Fairly clear from the text. What about the 21st century? Can I get into your homes a bit? How do we benefit or glean from Paul's example of the authority of God behind his stewardship, his management? Well, one simple example, illustration which I'm sure comes right to the forefront of your mind, relates to the exact same charge that Paul was given. He was called to be a minister. As we see throughout this, and we'll get to it more, in subsequent understandings, is that he's called to preach the unfathomable riches of Christ. This applies to you and me as well. Amen? Simple application there. That said, not only do we understand that this message was preached to us, we also understand we've been called to now steward it just in the same way that Paul did. Whether it's the proclamation of the unfathomable riches of Christ or whether it's whatever occupation that God has called you to operate in, whatever gifting that he's given you, to steward it. To manage the gift that God has given to you. Moreover. It's this type of authority. Understanding of authority. That causes us to look to Christ alone. As opposed to ourselves. And this is something that we all. If we're honest with ourselves. Wrestle and struggle with at times. In whatever area of life we've been called to operate. To look to the authority of God in what we've been given to steward and manage. As opposed to our own strength. Let me add one other implication. Do you ever feel as though you just can't let go of certain things? You can't let go of something in life and it very well may be something that is good and honorable. You approach it in a way with fists that are just tightly clenched. You understand that this is a gift from God but oh, this is my gift. Let me challenge you for a moment as I've challenged myself throughout this week thinking through this text oh yes you and I have been called to use an illustration to be gardeners of the master's garden so to speak oh yes he's called you to be diligent and gentle with a green thumb if you will in the garden But oh yes, there are also birds, the sun, and thorns that will destroy what you've planted. That said though, are we resting in the authority of God behind it all? Are we understanding that ultimately... It is the master's garden, and it is the master's prerogative: growth or not. You and I are simply stewards. Amen? Oh, nevertheless so. As we know the parable, good crop is coming is it not wheat will produce grain when we rest in the authority of god we know that our life will inevitably produce fruit as we saw in ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 fruit that was prepared beforehand by the great workman himself That we inevitably will walk in. Now. When it comes to being a good steward. We also realize as we stated in the introduction. That there are tasks involved as well. And that is the second. Understanding behind this stewardship of the mystery. For Paul. And that is the task of God. The task of God. Look at verse 4 to begin with. He says, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. So the task here is simply, as we can see, that the Gentiles would understand his insight. As we already stated and confirmed that God had given to him. His message of this mystery revealed. God gave it to him. That he would make the mystery known. That Jews and Gentiles are fellow heirs in Christ. What's more, as we saw last week, that the dividing wall, that incredible picture, has been tore down. The two have become one. Now, Quick point of clarification on this task. Because even as we stated in the introduction, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 10, Paul was a man that said, I work harder than anyone. And that should be all of our hearts. When Paul desired to make known this insight to church at Ephesus, he would have certainly worked harder than anyone to make that known in order that they might understand his insight. That said, don't forget how Paul works harder than anyone. Yet it is not I, but the grace of God that is in me. A focus upon the authority of God and the task of God, yes, but fully focused on Christ and his strength to empower him. What about this commitment in the context of Ephesians, though? That's where we're at. I mentioned in 1 Corinthians 15.10, is this mindset still apply? Of course it does. This is the divine, inerrant, inspired, united word of God. Turn back to chapter 1, verse 17, and let's see how these two great themes coexist, that he works harder than anyone, that he has a responsibility, a human perspective to make this insight known, but there's a greater power at work behind it all. Chapter 1, verse 17 reads, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him some of you may remember when we looked at that passage at the end of chapter 1 this is a prayer from Paul about the church's sanctification collectively the church growing in holiness pursuing Christ that said we cannot disconnect this context Throughout the flow of the letter that would have been intended to be read in its entirety. From chapter 3. God is the one who gave him the task. What's more, he expects him to fulfill it. Human responsibility. Nevertheless, Paul understands That it is the grace of God that will enable him to do so. Divine sovereignty. With that said, in verse 7, the description of the task continues. Look there when he says, to which I was made a minister. And this is not a manager concerned with self-promotion, We see this throughout the world all the time. It's all about me and my ability to manage this team or steward this job that I've been given. Paul's not concerned with self-promotion. He is a servant of the Lord for the sake of Others, in this case specifically the Gentiles, not himself. He's there to serve the Gentiles a message of unfathomable riches. Or look at verse 8 to serve them by preaching the unfathomable riches. This word preach. Is in essence just to proclaim the good news. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. The good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was given. This task from the beginning. You know on his Damascus road conversion. Acts chapter 9 verse 15. As the Lord was speaking to Ananias. Ananias. The word of God reads, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and sons of Israel. So he was chosen. Paul was chosen to be this minister in the same way that you were chosen, beloved. John chapter 15, Jesus said, you did not choose me. I chose you. But oh, He didn't choose you to sit back and say, let go and let God. He chose you to go forth and to make disciples. To go forth and to proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Amen. Speaking of that light, Look at verse 9 for one more example of the task of God. Paul says, And to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery. Now, I've already mentioned chapter 1 and Paul's prayer for sanctification as a connection. Let me use it again. Look at chapter 1, verse 18. Speaking of this light that Paul desires to make known. Chapter 1 verse 18 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. So that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Paul in chapter 3 verse 9, he wants to bring to light this administration or management, stewardship of the mystery that Jews and Gentiles are fellow heirs in Christ. Yet he also knows, whether it be in chapter 1 verse 17, 18, chapter 1, 3 through 14, or many of the epistles that the apostle Paul has written, he also knows the need for the Spirit's effectual calling to initiate this enlightenment. And our final understanding will deal more with the breaker box behind this light switch, if you will. Although Paul has certainly been called to flip the switch. Well, let me say this. That switch doesn't have any dimmer on it either. As opposed to what many would push us to do. Having said that, how should we respond? If Paul was called to preach and to make known and to illuminate the unfathomable riches of Christ, how should we respond? Once again, a simple application comes back to our call to make known the unfathomable riches of Christ and any preacher worth his salt that would lessen that significance Oh, I feel for him on Judgment Day. Be that as it may, since I've referenced already chapter one's connection to this, let me bang that drum again. In one recent episode, I just recently had a chance to listen to, and I would encourage you if you don't uh, if you're not familiar with the Just Thinking podcast, you need to become familiar with it. Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker speaking in that podcast on the topic of cultural denominationalism. Spoke of, and I'm paraphrasing, the tragedy of where churches in essence are turning off the lights or dimming the lights, going back to my illustration, metaphorically speaking, on Christ in order that people would feel comfortable, in order that people would feel welcome. That's to say that pragmatism or what's practical or what's easy from the world's perspective is the method of choice. Oh, my friends, beware. Not just us here at Miriam Christian Chapel, but all churches need to beware of this message that too much Jesus, too much Scripture, too much conviction is dangerous. We need to soften Jesus. We need to soften the gospel. We need to soften Christ. Once again all in order that people would feel comfortable and welcome. This slip and slide slope. Is soaked. With watered down churches. Who once stood firm on the ground that they previously operated with. Yet now, overtaken by a sea of felt needs and the fear of man. Let it never be. For us as a church body, we must be boldly committed to make Christ known in all that we do. Now, before I apply this, I need to say something up front. In order that people don't hear what I'm not saying, everything that we do from some perspective, is grounded in a motive of love, should it not be? Love needs to be behind truth. Ephesians 4.15, we'll get there. Speak truth in love. We love people. Those we get along with and those that maybe we struggle with. Nonetheless, Listen to the words of our Lord in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, when he says, do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Oh, my friends know this. Whether it's us as a church or individuals. We've been called to proclaim the unfathomable riches of Christ. That's easy to say. Yet we cannot be naive either. This type of illumination. This type of conviction. Will inevitably produce division. Listen to the words of Christ in Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 26. Jesus presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in the field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat. And went away, but when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares also became evident. Do you see it, beloved? When we as a church perform the task of God. Praise the Lord. Wheat is coming, bearing forth grain. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ is building His church and the gates of Hades will not overpower that. Although, with this, tears are also becoming more evident. We cannot be surprised at this. And more importantly, we must remain convictional and the task that God has given us. With love undergirding it all. It's not easy, is it? Yet yeah, I'm going to give you the charge that Paul Washer's wife that's just popped in my head, gives to him often. She says, you go forth, Spartan. Be a warrior for Christ. That'll comply to you women too as well. Be a Spartan woman. (laughs) A warrior for Christ. That said, if we're going to remain resolute in such a difficult task as that, that continually pushes against this, In all facets of life, inside and outside the church. We're gonna have to remember the power of God behind it all. And that's the third and final understanding of behind Paul's stewardship of the mystery. Number three, the power of God. The power of God. Be encouraged. I want you to be encouraged with this, my friends. It's all throughout this section. Look at verse 5. He says, It has now been revealed to His holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. You want power? How about the third person of the triune Godhead? The Holy Spirit Himself. Who indwells you. That's power. Verse 6 is perhaps the most glorious instance of the power of God in this entire passage. Paul, listen beloved, a Jew within the context of that ethnic tension, remember what would happen to the Gentiles if they would step foot into the court of Jews within the Jerusalem temple. They would be killed. In that context, Paul says the Gentiles are fellow heirs, fellow members of the body, fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. What is the gospel? But the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek. There's power Beyond any human finite understanding in the gospel. A tear down wall such as that, that indwells you in the spirit, that's behind your commitment to stand firm. In verse 8 Paul, the very least of the saints, the very least of the saints we know his history is now preaching the unfathomable riches of Christ. Is there anyone here today who has ever felt unqualified or undeserved? Let me say this. In yourself, in yourself, in myself, you're not qualified to manage your own child's piggy bank. Oh. But in Christ, and the power of God behind the stewardship that you've been given, you've been given the privilege and the responsibility to make known and preach the unfathomable riches Of Christ. How glorious is that? How about verse 10? The power of God is so unsearchable. So inscrutable. That the church is... Stewardship displays this even to the un- angelic realm. So majestic, so powerful. Or in verse 11, the power of God's in accordance with the eternal purpose of God. everything. Is working according to the counsel of his will. Which is unchanging. According to the divine sovereign will. Which oh by the way beloved. Those of you that are in Christ. Is working together for your good. Cling to that. In whatever. Season of life you're in. Blessing or trouble. Today. Today. And then finally, in verse 12, how do we have confidence and boldness in this stewardship? Through faith in Him. What has Paul said about faith already? Verses 8 and 9. It's a gift from God given to you. What's more, a gift that you will never lose. A gift that is anchored within the power of God. That's what's been given to you. That's what will enable you to remain resolute in the tasks in which God has given to you. To remember to keep the perspective that it's about His authority in which I operate and manage. Let me come back then to where we started. When it comes to stewardship and management, What will we do with what God has given us? What will we do with what God has given us? Paul understood the authority of God, the task of God, and the power of God. For us, in a similar vein, we have the same mission. Yet, as we've hinted at throughout the passage... This can apply in any area of sanctification in which God has called you. Whatever that might be, on your job, in your home, with your family, to understand these type of principle understandings that will equip you to live a life well for Christ. Christ. With that said, let me close with a quote and a challenge from Pastor John MacArthur. And I quote All Christians are but God's stewards. Everything we have is on loan from the Lord. Remember our fists that are clenched? Some of us may be even holding on to them right now. Everything we have is on loan from the Lord. Entrusted to us for a while, that's so key, to use in serving I mentioned this in the first service. But I, I love it, man. It just puts things in perspective. Another one of my favorite pastors, I mentioned Washer, I mentioned MacArthur, I mentioned Lawson, Vodie Bacham says, You're gonna die one day and somebody's gonna get your stuff. That's the reality might sound cold but if we understand that we are simply stewards that everything we have is on loan to us that's not a big deal cuz oh beloved the moment we pass from this Life to the next. If you are a blood bought born again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. This life is nothing. Oh yes Paul said to live is Christ. But he said to die is what? Gain. Don't hold too closely to this world. People. The world. Will let you down. But Christ will never leave you nor forsake you. I will let you down. I'm nothing more than a servant and a mouthpiece of the Lord. He's your king. He's your Lord. He's your master. What will you do with what he's given you? Amen. Let that challenge you as you walk out these doors here today. To live a life well for Christ. Pray with me. Oh Lord Jesus, we thank you, thank you, thank you for your precious word in which you've left us with. We don't have to do it all, Lord. You've given us a word that is capable of producing in us works that you prepared beforehand. A word, Lord, that empowers us to walk in those works. A word that keeps us grounded in your authority. A word that clearly demonstrates the tasks that we've been given to proclaim the unfathomable riches of Christ. To love our wives as Christ loved the church. To love our neighbors as ourselves, To rest in the power of God that indwells every believer. Resurrection power for your honor and for your glory is what it's all about. In the exalted name of our Lord Jesus Christ we pray.